Okay, um, I'm gonna try and only do one article this weekend, uh, this week, just to see how it goes. Um, so for my article, I did the 1972 Brock Reed article. Um, I remember you saying to us in class that we should look for, um, for context clues about the time period the article was released. Um, the only thing I could really find was like a stab at the U.S. invading the Dominican Republic. That was the only really contextual thing I could really find about time period other than the fact that it was the 70s and he was using a lot of like references to do with sex so maybe that was what you were talking about <laughs> the sexual revolution I guess um so I really liked his analogy of lovers versus seducers versus rapists I found that like pretty easy to understand and wrap my head around probably it was more concrete than a lot of the stuff I feel like we've been looking at it's less like <clears throat> it's less relative like this is actually a category we can use and you can actually find things strictly to fall under the, these categories and he gave examples and he laid it all out really nicely and it was just it was a good um it was a good analogy I felt like um, he did say that the argue in the very first page, the arguer is all you need for an argument, which is contradictory to a lot of the a lot of the other material we've read and a lot of the stuff we've kind of said in class. I found that interesting. I'd like to go in depth more on like why he thinks that, or like why we think otherwise. You know what I mean? Um, I love the quote, I say only that the arguer is also important and that the relationships among the people who argue may afford one useful way to classify argumentative, argumentative transactions. I really like that because I think there is a lot of say in, in, in how your, your intentions and how you're feeling when you're addressing something. And I think I remember like my ethics professor when we were trying, when we were structuring arguments with premises and all those he would say like I one of the things we were reading was like a guy named Hutchinson and ball guy and they were just very anti-emotion on influencing like morality and I just don't think that's the case like even now I think emotions play a really big part in arguing and argumentation and, and ethics and philosophy like not in a very deep way because they can influence, they can kind of warp your reality of a situation. Like I gave the example in my ethics class of, you know, somebody rear ends somebody and they're already having a horrible day. It's a way bigger deal than it really is compared to other people's perception of the situation because they're already super angry. So like it kind of warps how intense the situation is and the emotions that situation really calls for so I think that's important um if you know what I mean if you don't know what I mean I, I don't I'm really bad at articulating um um at first I didn't really get the rape analogy but then I read it further and I understood um and I feel like the rape and the rapist part of the analogy is arguers who are 
seeking powerful positions over the co-arguer and just want to basically hold the power. They don't really care about justifying their argument or, you know, they're very, they're full of fallacy. And so I think that, I think that's what he meant. Um, then he said seduction, which is a red herring. It's, um, it's, it's a kind of like a distraction. He used the example of like political campaigns use this a lot. And I, I found that easy to understand as well. Um, and I, I'd argue that it isn't even an ad if it isn't meant to be, if it isn't meant to seduce, you know, like all ads are meant to seduce. So seducers and rapists want power, want to argue against someone else, um, like ads in political campaigns. And then the lovers argue alongside peers and want a bilateral relationship, um, which I'm not quite a hundred percent on understanding. I think that means they're willing to compromise with the co-arguer, but also willing to work with other people in the argument, but I think that might be a little bit too abstract for me to understand. Um, I like the good and philosophical argument because there is no right answer. So the lovers are very, I feel like, laissez-faire in the argument. They know it's not, that they're not necessarily always going to be correct, but compromise is needed in the argument. I guess not compromise, because then it's not really, you're not really doing a good argument, but anyway. Um, I really like the quote, lover of wisdom and those who seek it. I, I love the subcategory of the philosophical lover's argument. Um, I think that's what, that's what really I seek to do when I argue, because I, I really do love to argue because I like to learn. I want to know things. I want to, I want to have a really good sense of what's going on. And I feel like when people are passionate about what they're talking about, that's all the more reason for me to really take it in as something important to people and something, it should be important to me as well. Um, uh, so philosopher argue, arguers argue to learn and not to be con- uh, correct. Um, yeah. Um, the only thing I'm really unclear about the article is going to be the term meta-argument. And it's um, basically use of this term. It's a little bit more confusing to me. But other than that, thank you so much.